you know, 90% of people can find problems, 10% find solutions. Got to be in the solution business. Listen, learn, help them listen and learn. Meet people where they are. Don't be critical. Be open and find commonality. We'll get there. We'll all get there. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University's podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Joe Favorito. Joe, good to see you. I've missed a couple of weeks. I hope you're doing okay. Been having Happy some- middle of June, Tom. We're here in the oh middle my God. of June. And summer's here, and I was in Manhattan the other day, uh, and it actually looked pretty normal. So I'm yeah. thinking, I know I mentioned this a few shows ago, but I'm hoping we can get together in person for a podcast instead of doing Zoom. Yeah, Can't I wait. think um, here we are in the middle of June and we had said September, but I'm hoping it's going to be before September. We should find something to do and drag uh, Banner Taylor or Tom Cerny into the city and find a place where we can have the ambulance or the fire truck going by outside. Exactly. We need our, <laughs> we need our sound effects. Uh, Joe, have yeah. you been doing biz- business meetings in the city yet? Uh, a few. Um, a couple of lunches, actually, I'm a little bit skittish about having lunch in the city. Cause the last time I went in, I was sitting at Bryant park grill and my wife texted me and said, your wa- our water heater just went off and exploded. So, uh, so I think that's a bad sign. And the man upstairs wants me to stay in New Jersey for a little while, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I'm totally fine with it. I think you're starting to see more people back in the city, um, or even in Westchester, and and I, I I'm anxious to get back to a sense of normalcy, more of a sense of normalcy. Yeah, I, I, one thing we can count on is that the traffic everywhere in the tri-state yeah. area has been horrific every yes. day. Yep. yep. So, so we kind of got spoiled there for a year, not having to deal yeah. with traffic. That's all right. I'll gladly deal uh, with the traffic. Oh, so, um, hey Tom, since we're we're talking about sense of normalcy or unnormalcy. We have a returning guest who's anything but normal, but always intriguing, and has some amazing stuff going on. Who's our guest today? Well, it's it's one of our our favorite um, old friends from the sports business, um, a legend, I would call him at this point, <laughs> because his various successes. No, I, I mean that. Um, I appreciate uh, that. Just a really nice, thoughtful interesting guy who is never disappoints in any conversation, whether it's a one-on-one or a podcast or him getting uh, interviewed in a panel on a conference or something like that. And we're talking about, I'm happy to say an old colleague of mine from the national hockey league and an old hockey player himself. And that would be Bryant McBride. Welcome back to the show, Bryant. Such pleasure guys. Thank you. Um, You know, I guess it's, it's a prerequisite that if somebody calls you a legend, which is startling, frankly, um, that means you're old too. <laughs> well, I was going to say you get that you hear that term a lot more by some of our, around some of our peers these days. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, it's better. Than, I've been called much worse, so yeah, that's, yeah. that's fine. It's all good. It's all good. Um, but it's anyway, great to, to be here. Yeah, thanks. Um, to remind everybody, just quickly, we're not going to spend a time on Brian's background as we did in the first podcast, which. Joe might have been two years ago, might have been 20 years ago. I have, I can't remember at this point. None of you guys probably remember either. Um, yeah, a long time. But Brian has a very distinguished career in the business as an executive, as an entrepreneur, as uh, a founder of a really successful business that we're going to be talking about, as a producer of documentaries. Mm-hmm. I'm referring to the Willie documentary that some of you know about. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and as a just a really good um, leading voice in the sports business about what's going on. And I say that in quotes only because 
that question, what's going on, applies in, at, at every juncture uh, that we, we sit back and reflect on things. But one of the things that's probably most interesting and maybe will be the focus of this conversation today is what he's doing with his company, Burst, which some of you may know about. It is called, self-described, I should say, as the leading UGC, and for those of you who don't know, that's user-generated content engagement platform for broadcasters, publishers, and brands. And I'll tee it up this way, Brian, as you can, you can describe what Burst is all about. But one of the things we talk about in my digital class, and we've been doing this for years, is this idea that perhaps of all the disruption that occurred during the digital era in media, going back to the 90s, the thing that is arguably the most disruptive of all was the unexpected rise, scaling, and influence of user-generated content. So 100%. back when we were at the NHL, we didn't have to worry about that. We had sports talk radio, a couple of letters to the editor, but Gary Bettman was safe. The owners were safe. You know, no, no feedback coming from the fans. Yep. Per se. Yep. And then, of course, with the introduction of Facebook in um, 2004, Twitter, 2006, the growth of social in the late aughts, and then, of course, the explosion in the tens, it has become um, perhaps the biggest and most disruptive force of modern media. And a lot of the other media companies that are not part of big tech have been struggling to find their place with user-generated content. Because historically, users were not necessarily invited into the, under the tent, into their walled gardens to participate. But the world has been flipped on its head. It's a different story now. And burst was one of the pioneers in kind of picking up on this theme as the mobile dominance really started to accelerate. What was it, eight years ago, seven years ago, Brian, that you yep. started? So anyway, yep. I've done enough talking about Burst. Why don't you at least just to start, set it up, and then we'll talk sure. about particularly what you're doing right now with the platform, with this new initiative. Yeah, what, what we saw, and I think that, I think that's a, a really great way to frame it, um, you know, we, we saw the surge, everyone saw the surge, everyone lived the surge, right? The confluence of mobile, I mean, the iPhone's 16 years old. I think it's crazy, right? feels like it's been a thousand years, but it's only been 16 years. Not even, years. It's technically 14. I, I have these numbers 14. memorized because my there class, you go. sorry. Okay, so there you go. So it's 14 years old and um, I stand corrected and good catch. Um, and, you know, Facebook's 20 maybe, right? So, so the confluence of those two things and, and, I, I say Facebook, but all of UGC, Twitter, everything, right? Just in your palm, immediacy, all screens, you know, the is as we've called it in the past, you know, you're you're carrying around an exo brain. Right? It's nuts. You've got everything at your fingertips and it's just easy. And as you said, it, it broke down, you know, it disintermediated old media in, in a pretty significant way, but at speed that we'd never ever seen before. Right. So, you know, the the network effect, obviously, of, of Facebook has propelled it to what it is of Twitter. You know, there's been some late entrance here and there's been refinements of Snap and TikTok and what have you, you know, different flavors. But the one area that's continued to lag, frankly, has been old media companies. They, they can't wrap their they, they've had a really hard time, you know, being as sophisticated as these new nimble players. So what we what we saw, the void that we saw, the hole that we saw was to encourage these old media companies, this sounds crazy, but to own their own media. De facto, by by faulting, defaulting to free tools here, 
they say on Twitter, hey, come get, go get more audience, they say on Facebook. And everyone's trundling over for years and getting paid in likes and tweets and garbage, frankly. I'm sorry, but what's it really doing for you, right? It's really doing more for, it's, it's a Faustian bet, uh, I think, and I, I contend, and I still contend. So we said to them, why not own, why not own three things? Own your meat, own your content, which is bizarre to say, but own your content, right? Because they don't once they go up there and it's in it's, you know, it's in the ether and, and the people are extracting. I think then, and you may know this number too, but the last I'd seen, Facebook has over 7,000 individual data points on every user. Yeah, like That's that. insane, right? That's crazy. So, it, you know, which what makes really, their, their advertising story that much better. It's so deep and so wide and so rich, right? On the one side, on the other side, it's surveillance capitalism. We now live in a world of surveillance capitalism, right? As a result of us saying, here's the contact, take it. Yeah, we'll use your player, we'll use your, your tools. The second part is own your customer and own the ability to monetize that customer. That's where it really hurts, right? And that people have said, have, have, have checked out and Facebook, you've seen the steady rise to go along with mobile and with UGC, that steady rise of you know the duopoly, maybe now triopoly with Amazon crushing it on the advertising side as well of, of two, three big players, maybe fourth, maybe, but you know that's it, right? And it was just eaten all of the advertising dollars or a big chunk of the advertising dollars. And and the and the third piece of that puzzle is to old media companies is own your data, right? Stop giving it away. But they don't have the data mining sophistication of the nimble new big players. And as a result, they're kind of flat they've been flat footed for a while, you know, hoping for for shares and likes and and to and being amplified on those platforms. So we tried to help them wrestle some of that back. And we've had some success there. We work with 200 plus media partners around the country who use our tools largely at the local level. Um, they pay us a software as a service fee and um, it, it, we feed the beast of, um, of local media is, is what we do. And uh, that's been a good business for us, uh, but it's, it's got its limits. So we looked at and decided to um, take the best of that content, package it, and then, um, and then syndicate it and monetize it that way. That was the initial thought. And now we're heading towards really, really focusing on in the wake of George Floyd, in the wake of a few other data points from the film and some other things going on, DEI commitments from big players to do the work, if you will. So that that's what's led us. That's what that's where we started. And it's and that takes us to the cusp, excuse the pun, of where we are. Hey, and Brian, just to be clear so everyone knows, and and the film that, that Tom and, and Brian have been referring to is Willie, which is the amazing award-winning documentary of Willie O'Ree's life story. Um, that everyone should watch and is on every platform. But this started kind of with a little bit of sports, but it went into weather. It's been adapted to other places. Um, how have you been able to kind of pivot from something that could have started as a sports platform for highlights or user-generated content in the stadium to every platform, including news? You know, you've touched on social issues. How has that played out and has it played out well? Yeah, it's played up by, you know, one thing that you is a constant in everything in building companies is just listen to your clients, right? And they and they they made it clear, you know, that weather was huge at the local level, right? That's a big driver um, uh, for their P&Ls at the local level, for those, excuse me, for those local stations. So weather, 
sports, as you said, events, it's basically democratizing coverage, right? Instead of having to roll out a bread truck, those little trucks with the thing that comes out of the top and cost with the talent and everything and PAs, you know, union, union, usually it's, you know, you're looking at three, $4,000, depending on the market, as opposed to sending a PA out with their smartphone and the talent and it's up and it's good. Right. So that, that it's the cost savings um, for any event. And that's, that's a controlled content um, example, but then just pure, let it fly UGC. You say to the, you say to the parties, to, to everyone watching channel seven, you say, Hey, we want to make you part of our storm coverage team. And after they hear that, that drum beat, that megaphone two, three, four times a week for six months, they're trained. So you have this army of, 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 of collectors of, of uh, you know, videographers who are, are doing your work for you. Right. And we figured out some tools on the way in that really is focused on the workflow, pulling the friction at every step for that consumer who decides to take a video to send into the news. Um, so making sure that they have two touches, one to no app needed, really important. People have app fatigue, one to, to get in. The second one is a rights and is a terms and conditions that handles the rights. Because what we're really replacing, we figured out, was the digital ball of yarn, which you get 10, 5, 10,000 videos in a four-hour storm. It's impossible in that newsroom to get through all of that stuff, never mind get the rights and permissions. So step one, we get video up and off the phone, especially in poor connectivity situations. Step two is that curative assist, right? It's curation, just pure and simple, and, and, and managing all of that stuff. We have a team of machine learning engineers up here in Boston that we are looking at every video that comes in with its attendant metadata attached to every asset, really important. We're looking at shapes, edges, colors, scene transitions, not safe for work, you know, 6,000 objects, like split second. We will, from those 10,000 videos in that storm, we will find the six that matter instantly. So in that newsroom or on the person's couch during COVID, that production assistant, because it's all cloud enabled, can go yes, no, yes, no. And the third step is delivery, distribution to, to any endpoint, be it any digital destination, websites, phones, obviously, um, uh, social, jumbotrons and signage. We still do a bunch of sports and linear and OTT. So that, that tree falling down during that storm, flattening a car is breaking news. That person taking that video, we'll have it on air within under a minute if they want it or in the holding pattern ready to go. So, Brian, let me just back up for a second to understand the process for the for the consumer, for the for the person mm -hmm. generating the video. So they're using their camera, obviously, uh, let's yep. say using their phone, using their so, phone. So they, so they take the video of the storm yep. and they're like, this is good enough to submit. I'm going to submit it. Yep. What are they doing specifically at that moment when sure. they want to submit? It's really, it's really, they look and they say, Hey, I've got something good. So it yeah. may be only about 10% are taking the moment of, they usually mm -hmm. have them in their camera roll and it's right. collecting dust. It's collecting right. digital okay. dust, we call it. Right. And it's just sitting there and nobody ever sees it. And they go, Oh, wait, I, I took this one on the way home yesterday and the storm was just starting and that car crash. Hey, I'm going to put this on TV. Mm -hmm. So they hit the button on, on news channel seven Right, they hit it. We were built into the app, so it's seamless. So they just, are using the news channel seven app to be. They're using clear. the channel seven app, yeah, okay, or they're it. just using a URL that they right. type in, or okay. just a link 
that, that gets pushed out on social. So we just, it's far and wide. The actual entry point doesn't matter, right? And it's, and, it, and, and, and it's usually through a website that they're looking at, you know, an XM, you know, an XML page that they're looking at or an HTML page that they're looking at. And they just hit the link that take, pulls up, the, pulls up the, the screen. Then they have a, hey, do you give permission to use this? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Yes, 99.9%. We've never paid anyone for a video or a photo ever in eight years. It's crazy. But people want, and that, that was the big kind of jumping off point for me. I was like, wait, why are people going to submit here rather than Facebook or Instagram or what, you know? And what it turns out, uh, you know, it's not me, but I've got a face for radio, as you guys can see, uh, is people want to be on TV. They want to be on TV. Right. Still. And, you, and you give them credit by name or by username? And we give them, yeah. we give okay. them attribution right. and they submit it either a fresh one that they just took right there or from their camera roll, they submit two, three, four, which is not simple from a technology standpoint. And, and all of them get downloaded. But here's the key. It gets downloaded in a way where it's in the weather, what we call bubble or container. So it's in the weather container. It's in the local sports container on that game specifically. It's in the breaking news bubble. So they can choose where they want to submit it. And it's immediately curated for that news department who has, you know, has pressures of their own. They're, you know, they want to do this with one or two people rather than a hundred. So we allow that to happen in a seamless, very quick and easy from a UI UX standpoint for the consumer, all the way through to the CMS that we have built underneath for the news producer onto the, onto whatever screen they want. Cool. Um, for those who don't know, because you're uh, listening to this, not watching it, Bryant was uh, basically the creator of uh, the diversity program at the NHL. Um, really kind of fathered that along before he left. Um, we talked about the Willie O'Ree documentary. Um, there's also another project that Bryant has started, which we'll touch on called the Carnegie Initiative. Uh, to really raise the, the consciousness and deal with issues across all of hockey. But in the in the, the context of all that, uh, obviously so many videos I'm sure came in last summer uh, with everything going on. We're speaking here uh, on June 18th, right before, right after actually, President Biden has declared June 19th a, a federal holiday going forward. Um, and Tom touched on the diversity and inclusion uh, aspect of this, which you're really champion, championing. How does all that fit together? And did it come off of last summer, Brian? And how has it grown since then? It's a great question. Yeah, and, and it's been it's been you know a um, interesting wild journey. It just has, you know. Um, so you know, we we the frame burst. We've got these pipes. We're sending a video every thirty seconds of every day to two hundred plus markets. So that's happening. We've got the pipes. We've got the just we've got the beginnings of a big distribution network. So the next step that we were going to take, as, as I mentioned, is we're going to syndicate, package and syndicate that content. For example, a storm roars up the East Coast. We have 12 stations in that path. So we uniquely can say we can package before, during, after, put it onto web properties and pages, syndicate it and get paid for it again, right? And pay a portion to ourselves, a portion to the contributor of the content and a portion to the station and, and a portion to the display partner who could be the station or somebody else. So we slice out a third, a third, and a third. And it's like a, it's like a tabula or an outbrain, right? Except that rather than, you know, 
biggest snakes in Australia, or they send me belly fat things. I can't figure out why. Um, <laughs> and all, Woodstock and all this craziness, clickbait, right? Our stuff index is 40, 50 times higher on the click-through rates because it's real and it's pertinent and it's local, right. right? So so we have that proprietary technology built, right? To, to, to put more, uh, to, to start what we call the burst content network. That's the first piece of the puzzle. We have the tool. As Joe mentioned, you know, I've been doing this work for a long time. Um, you know, I was the first black executive at the National Hockey League. And I just, you know, felt it was important that um, we make the game more inclusive from the day I walked in, from the day Gary Bettman hired me and he encouraged that and, you know, gave me the, the, the latitude and the, and, the, and the breadth to do that. And, and, and I did. And step one in that was hiring Willie O'Ree, finding and hiring Willie, who, for those of you, you know, who don't know him or haven't watched the film, it, it's definitely worth checking out. Thank you, Joe, for the plug. But it's, um, it, you know, it's a story of a really earnest, humble, gracious guy who just never gave up, refused to give up. And in so many ways, that is the BIPOC story in North America, right? Hurdles put in front of you, overcome. More hurdles put in front of you, overcome. Just keep overcoming. It's tiring. It gets hard to overcome in the workplace, in, in, in sports, in everywhere, right? You know, I, it's often looked to as a badge of honor, and I, and I do consider it a badge of honor. I was the first in many regards. I was the first black class president at West Point. I was the first black class president at Trinity College. I was the first um, uh, African-American executive at the NHL. Uncle, okay? The tacit understanding there is, damn, he was first. We've made it hard. Right. And he climbed that mountain yeah. without, every, without anyone ever saying that. Wow, you were the first, way to go. Well, stop making it so damn hard for people to be the first. Right. So, so, you know, that, that is, that's tiring. <laughs> that's just really tiring. And it's really hard. Willie never got tired. I try not to get tired. I do my best to keep going under, you know, some things that are hard and this isn't, you know, victimhood or, you know, I, I'm not big on the victim narrative that said 400 years, this is real and this is hard. You know, people pushing back on those facts don't know them. I've been doing this work, as I said, for a long time, but I've really done a deep dive in the last few years after making this film. Candidly, guys, I feel somewhat ashamed that I've been living in a post-racial world myself, right? You know, living in a beautiful neighborhood in Lexington, Massachusetts, and, you know, having a great time and all of that when not having a really deep understanding of what was going on. And frankly, after reading as much as I've done, and I really, really encourage people, people are like, oh, how do I do the work? How do I do the work? Read, just flat out read. Read The Warmth of Other Sons. Read Cast. Read The New Jim Crow. Read Just Mercy. Read The Color of Law. Those five books will give you a 360 perspective of, of what has happened in this country. And in North America, it's, it's insane what has happened and that people just don't know about. I'm not going to get too deep or too heavy on it, but on one side, you know, to the negative, the United States and the world discovered Tulsa two weeks ago. Wow. That's crazy, right? I've known about it for a while, but the depth, everyone went, oh, wow, that's nuts. On the positive side, in terms of what we don't know, 
do you guys know who I'm going to ask a little quiz here for a second. Do you guys know who Julius Rosenwald is? No, no, I don't. This is smart, smart group of guys, right? Smart people. I didn't know either. Okay. Julius Rosenwald was the Jeff Bezos of his time. He started Sears. Okay. Really? Started Sears you, robot. A great trivia question. Well, it gets crazier. <laughs> no just wait, yeah. just wait. Yeah. It gets crazier. He was one of three or four guys that started Sears Roebuck. Okay. Made a ton of money. He got together with Booker T. Washington, whose name you've heard, in 1912, and he created the Rosenwald schools, 5,000 of them. He increased the black literacy rate in 42 years, working with Booker T. Washington by 8x over 42 years. They just taught black kids how to read. He taught John Lewis how to read. He taught Maya, Maya Angelou how to read, and no one knows about it. It's crazy, right? There's 1,200 of these school, schools still standing all over the United States, single-house schoolrooms that were only made defunct by Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. How did you find out about it, Brian? I watched a documentary three, four years ago on Rosenwald. Wow. Right? But there's, there's hundreds of thousands of those stories, millions of those stories. There are 10 million Tulsa stories out there. Nobody talks about Rosewood. Nobody talks about East St. Louis. Nobody talks about Detroit, 1919. The crazy thing to the negative again, the crazy thing is, as a res and it's all history that's there right in front of us. In 1876 was a really important election in this country. It's called the Great Compromise, Tilden versus Hayes. Mm -hmm. the, the South, they both had, it was, we were afraid it was going to happen in this last election. They both had competing um, uh, competing slates of voters in the, in the electoral college. And it was, and it went on from November 4th to January before it was decided where they gave Hayes the presidency and they gave the States state rights. You know who the loser in that was black people, Jim Crow for the next 70 years, there was a person of color hung in this country lynched every three days. That's what happened. Yeah. And nobody talks about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's the greatest wound in the history of this country. And unlike Rwanda, unlike Canada, unlike, who has their own, have their own issues, obviously, two weeks ago with the, the discovery of yeah. 215 bodies in Kamloops, British Columbia, around the Indian resettlement schools. Unlike South Africa, unlike Germany, which we made them do it. We stuck their noses in it. We've never been brave enough to have truth and reconciliation in this country. And as a result, and seeing resistance from many states right now, back to the states' rights things, who literally going on. want to whitewash the history, the real history. Still going on yeah. to the point to the point where to the point where individuals stormed the capital of government in the United States of America with Confederate flags. In Germany, just just to be clear, okay. If you read Cast, a gentleman points out where Adolf Hitler's bunker was. It's a parking lot. After the Civil War, they made 1,200 monuments of General Lee. A guy stormed the Capitol with a, with a Confederate flag. In Germany, if you show a swastika in public, it's punishable by three years in jail. Who really won the Civil War? Right? So, sorry to be so emphatic That's about okay. it, but I have yes. to be. It, yeah. It's nuts. The insidious intent 
is the thread that goes through those 400 years. So hence, when people were changing voting rights and voter suppression, well, you, you think people shouldn't be worried? You think people shouldn't be worried about taking a vaccination after after what you know after what happened medically to, to people? I mean, it, it's just it's been crazy what has happened. One last example that's important, really important. Do you know what the greatest welfare program in the history of the United States is? What is it called? Social Security. In terms of just theft in dollars, oh. it's the GI Bill. GI Bill. So, okay. so first of all, when you hear the word welfare, it conjures an imitation of a poor black woman with children right away, mm -hmm. right? That's the trope, the stereotype that's been ingrained in the cracks and crevices of everything we do, right? So that's one thing. The next piece of this is the GI Bill, it's very Roman. You went and you went to war, you won, you faced bullets, you get back, you get rewarded, right? And you got rewarded in one of two ways through the GI Bill. You got rewarded with either housing or school or education, wealth creation. And every GI got that unless you were black and you got nothing. You can point directly because of states' rights. You couldn't go to those schools. You couldn't live in certain areas, redlining right? Government enforced segregation, right? And, and codified. You look back to the 40s and 50s, two, three generations, it is the direct result of that exclusion why white household income is 10 times what black household in income is today. Yet the stereotypes and tropes of laziness, of crime, that's what we've been tagged with. That's crazy. And it's wrong. So, Sorry to be so long-winded, but those pipes that we now have, those pipes that we now have, let's tell these stories at scale. Let's Brian, take those. Let me, yeah. I'm sorry. I just wanted to, on that point, because um, I was reading the story that you just had you featured in Forbes, I think it was a few days ago, by the mm -hmm. way. Joe, did mm -hmm. you happen to see it? Yeah. yeah. So there was a line in there that is apropos to what you're saying, and I, and I thought I would tee it up because it, it kind of frames, I think, what you're getting at with where you're going with Burst and this new capital raise. And I believe these words were attributed to you or something similar. Now is the time, and this goes, again, this is a good, good segue from what you were just saying. Now is the time to put more effort into and scale around the production and distribution of stories that drive empathy and open people's minds to different perspectives. That's exactly right. That's yeah. where we're, that's where we're okay. going, right? George Floyd, the, the thing that you could, the thing that, that, that really, there's, there's a few things that happened with George Floyd, right? It was just so irrefutable. That's the word that I'll harp on now is irrefutability, right? You saw it with your own eyes. Everyone did, right? I, I didn't watch the whole thing until the trial, the whole nine, eight, nine minutes. I, I couldn't, I said, I can't watch that. I just couldn't watch it. Right. It was just too much for me. And I watched it and I was like, oh, for like two days, it was just really, but you saw it. And it was reported then as, Hey, this guy was causing a ruckus and we took him down and this is what happened. Uh, okay. We all know that wasn't the case. Right. Because a woman, 17 year old woman using her phone, UGC shared it with the world, right. She changed the world. So that was one Thing that happened as a result of George Ford Floyd be irrefutable in talking about these issues. I don't put opinions out. I just speak in facts. I try to, because that's what Isabel Wilkerson, Brian Stevenson, Ibrahim X. Kendi. I mean, it, they are factual in their recounting of history. Okay. Really important. 
And the other thing that happened is it changed the definition of racism. The definition of racism used to be very overt, calling someone the N-word, right? That's shifted now. It's shifted. If you're standing on the sidelines, like those cops who prevented those people who wanted to interfere and wanted to do something, then you're part of the problem now. If you're not pulling on the oar and doing what you can to eliminate and eradicate this scourge that costs us all billions of dollars per year, okay, then you're wrong and you're a racist now. I'm sorry, but that is the tag that is apropos and fitting. If everyone's just so comfortable and just hanging out, doing nothing about it, I'm sorry, it's not acceptable anymore. So, so consequently, um, we have decided and where we're going is we are going to amplify and provide, um, you know, exposure to these stories. And some of these stories will be Rosenwald like stories that are like, wow, that's amazing. We didn't know about that. And some of the stories may be about the one we got last week from a 26 year old um, midwife whose grandmother in that same county delivered 6,000 babies over six, 60 years. That lore, right? That that view, that studs turkle like oral history. That that um, that that um, that view into family lore and, and importance and storytelling that has just been pushed to the margins. So we're going to bring those to the center, and we're going to tell those stories at scale. And 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 Brian, the other piece of this in the time that we have left uh, is the parallel to the Carnegie Initiative, because my mm -hmm. guess is. When you talk about stories that people don't know, most people south of the, the Canadian border don't know the story of Herb Carnegie right. and what you and Bernice have started with an elite team, basically to do the same thing, I would imagine, through yeah. under the lens of hockey and, and uh, uh, inclusivity, uh, not just in Canada, but throughout North America. So take us through a little bit of the Carnegie Initiative Absolutely. and have Absolutely. what you're doing at first. Yeah, they, they tie together with what we're doing at first in that what we're doing, everyone is, there's been calls to action, a call to action from George Floyd. How do we do the work? How do we do the work? How do we do the work? This is the work, right? Tell if you're a person of color and there's a call to action, tell your story. What you've heard over the dinner table for 30 years, 20 years, tell your story, right? And you can be part of it. And we're working with major institutions. Um, we're working with major institutions, museums, excuse me, libraries, to store that digitally, to have a digital handshake where your story is now part of the American lore and it's not, no longer ignored, right? Herb's story was, and so in effect, we're, we're enabling the, the people, you know, critical race theory, you know, um, complaints, go fight it out at the school board. We're just gonna overwhelm with the true stories is what we're coming with, okay? And Herb Carnegie, his true story is, is one of the most amazing in, in sports that very few people know about. Um, Herb was a star in the 30s and 40s in Canada, 40s mostly. He was the three-time MVP of the second best league in the world, okay, the Quebec Hockey League, tutoring and bringing up young players like Jean Beliveau, who said he was one of the best five players he'd ever played with. And he played with 10 Montreal Canadian Stanley Cup winning teams, and he called Herb one of the best five players he's ever played with. Okay. Herb played with his brother, Ozzy, and his friend Manny McIntyre on an all-black line in the 1940s. He was just a star. And he went and he tried out for the Rangers. They offered him very little money. And then he tried out for the Leafs. And a gentleman named Con Smythe, whose name you're going to hear in two or three weeks when they give out the MVP trophy. Hockey has its own monuments and traditions that 
should be looked at hard. Con Smythe, who did a lot of good things as well, he said to Herb, you're one of the best players out there. I'd pay anyone $10,000 to paint you white. Oh. He, ne he never played a game in the NHL. So what Herb did instead, and this is why it's named after him, he, uh, this in literally the same week, this is crazy, when you start to kind of cross-reference, in, in 19, December 1955, in exactly the same week that Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on that bus in Montgomery, Alabama, Herb started the Future Aces Hockey Program, where he used hockey to bring people together of all races in Toronto, and he did that for 60 years. He just did the work. He and his family did the work quietly, effectively, and it resulted in Scarborough, Ontario, where it became part of the curriculum in Toronto. It resulted in Anson Carter, Kevin Weeks, Joel Ward, Wayne Simmons, Devontae Smith-Pelly. It's crazy. That, those, were, those were the seeds that he planted all those years ago. So um, we are, we, in, his, in, in carrying that torch and in the spirit of doing what he did, we're going to continue that work with, with some new twists. The twist that we are putting on it is we said, let's find the best. And this is a year of thinking this through with some of the brightest minds in the hockey and business world and just some badass black hockey moms who are living it with their kids today, right? So there's some very famous people on this board, but there's some people you've never heard of who are so important. Lauren Camper from Philadelphia, right? And, and, and others that Renee Hess from the Black Girls Hockey Club, they, they, they just bring it because they're living it, right? With their own kids who are teenagers now. So, you know, their kids have experienced being called names on the ice within the last year, right? So we said, okay, how do we change the culture? How do we make hockey more inclusive and welcoming and accepting? And that's really what it is. Everybody wants to just have a chance to belong. That's really it, right? That's all this is about. So let's, let's really get the data and codify and study what's going on here. So we're working, we've recruited, we, we've been happy to build partnerships with Harvard, MIT, University of Toronto, Waterloo, Windsor, all of these institutions with, and get the best doctoral students, uh, postdocs, uh, graduate students, you know, all of them and say, here's money, here's a grant. We want you to study, you know, to look hard at why isn't there a national database of racial incidents reporting? USA Hockey doesn't have it. It doesn't exist, right? Are there repeat offenders? What, what geographies is it happening in? What, what's going on in the ground? I would get 10 to 15 per year because people would find me and whatnot. I've had 50 people call me with incidents like this since January 6th. That's just and, my and, and Brian, to be clear, it's not just athletes of color. It could be the LBGT. Big, big eye inclusion. Exactly. It's not indigenous just players, color. indigenous players, AAPI players. Yeah. This is just like, you know, let's break down these walls and really codify and study and get the data right with some of the smartest minds in the world. That's on one side. On the other side, like we do with, like we did with Willie and we're doing it first, let's tell these stories, stories like the little NHL, Ted Nolan, um, you know, fantastic coach on the board, you know, Teddy tells stories about, you know, his unbelievably hard path to being the coach of the year in the NHL and then never getting another offer. It's crazy, right? But the little NHL is the little native hockey league where, you know, 150 teams every year of just native players from all over Canada descend on one site for a week and they have a tournament and the kids just, they stop what they're doing and they go to this because it's the one place a year where they're not called names to this day. Right. 
Yeah. I want to go inside that story and tell that story of what that's like for these kids and how important it is to them. And because the world needs to know about these stories. So right brain, get the data, do the work. You know, why, why have there not been more than 30 women ever in hockey operations? Well, we know it's an old boys network. Don't, don't let them in. It's just starting to happen. How do we accelerate that? How do we accelerate bottom line? How do we accelerate the next 10 years, 10 years? How do we accelerate inclusion in the game at scale when i started at the nhl and tom when we were there there were three players of color in the league there's now 30 to 40 that took 30 years too long by the year 20 and this is a business imperative by the year 2044 the majority of people in this country will be visible minorities if hockey doesn't want to be nascar sorry nascar fans we got to get our heads out of our butts and fast and, and and the uh, the last point I want to make on that is that um, it is accentuating the positive in addition to bring shedding light on the problems, which is incredibly exactly important right. because those you know the Wayne Simmons and and, and those guys are the amazing stories that even casual fans may not know about. And, and I think bridging both those sides of the storytelling that you're doing is incredibly important. And, um, and, well, and to that, Joe, real quick, to the positive, you're right. There's it's sticks and carrots, right? It's, it's accountability, it's transparency, accountability, uh, trans, um, transparency, measurability of outcomes, KPIs and metrics. And then third is accountability. Is everyone saying following through on what they're going to do? Mm-hmm. But to the, to the positive side, it's serving as a clearinghouse. Take it if, if you get time. Take a look at the at the corporate um, faces at the Seattle Kraken. Killing it. They 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 are broad and inclusive. They've got the first I think ever the first intersectionality consultant, a woman named Chanel Keenan who Great is uh, who's disabled. She is the craziest, most in depth, smartest hockey fan I've ever met. She's 21 years old. She just graduated from um, UMass, wise beyond her years. And she is helping them own, you know, the disabled community. Mm-hmm. They're going to, they're going to, that's, they're, they're serving them in a way that no one's ever thought about. So it's happening. It's happening, right? The, the building blocks are being, you can feel the momentum of all these disparate groups who are siloed. It's, we're going to try and pull them all together and, and use the dollars with, with efficacy and, and purpose and intent. So that, that in closing the loop on what you're going to be doing with Burst vis-a-vis that agenda, you're raising more money, to be clear. You're, yep. you're actually raising more money. Um, and will that be used primarily, because you mentioned you have the pipes, you've, you've got the platform established. Will it be used primarily to help seed creative projects with this exactly diverse right. community? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we're going to hire an, an army of BIPOC creators, mostly right. BIPOC creators, okay. where we're going to turn, turn them loose and just like tell these stories from the primary voice, from the inside out, right? So that it's it's people of color and it's women and it's 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 uh, members of the trans community, the LGBTQ community, telling the, their stories in an authentic, real, powerful way that only they can tell, right? As opposed to other people telling their stories. So that's one use of proceeds. The other is going to be a layer, a UX/UI layer, where we can say to people, "Hey, you know, there's there's not going to be a, a place based, if you will." There's not going to be a um, there's not going to be a statue erected on George at George Floyd Square. Maybe a plaque, maybe some. Uh, we'll see. But really, what the memories are are virtual and digital. Where were you when? Yeah. When you're standing there, when you are recording, and you're telling your story of how this impacted you from your belly, 
right? And, and if you submit that, it automatically goes into a digital archive that is you retelling the stories of America and helping people learn how you feel and what it meant to you, right? Those are the memorials. And with that digital handshake that you have added something to the lore and to the stories of America when traditionally you've been excluded. Brian, it's, it's, I think we're gonna wrap in a second, but one more quick follow-up question. It's been 22 years since you've been at the NHL where you were, as you mentioned, perhaps one of the first and only diversity-minded uh, executives in pro sports at the time. I had come from the NFL, as you know, I don't believe we had anybody that was working on that agenda at the time in the 90s. Um, how would you grade the sports industry 22 years later here in 2021? Because there, we, we read about diversity and inclusion agendas pretty much every day at this point, but right, do you think right. they're really getting it done? What do you, what's your assessment? Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's a C. Unfortunately, I have to say it's a C. You know, there are bright spots. Richard Lapchick's been doing this work for a long time, you know, really smartly, I think, and um, and shining a light on it. You know, there's been things like the Rooney Rule, and, you know, so there, there's been fits, but it's been inconsistent. C's mean inconsistency to me, yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So um, so it's it's been, it's yes, the heart is there, the effort is there, right? But sometimes, but it's been inconsistent. And now the tables have turned. There's only one group amongst white people that feel as though, this is interesting, I think, 70 some percent of the 18 to 34 year old cohort of white people feel as though leagues and corporations have to take a stand on social justice. Mm -hmm. yep. They were in the streets last summer with, with black kids, yep. right? And yep. kids of color. They were like, enough. You guys have A, destroyed the planet, what the hell are you doing? And you've made it uninhabitable because people are fighting with each other and you're squashing people and oppressing people. So they're angry. They're, you, you know, Taylor's angry, right? Who's, who's doing the work. They're like, enough, stop it, cut it out. Yeah. You can do better, right? So, so sports, I think, echoes that, right? And it's amplified that, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick on the NFL for a second, but when you put, um, um, you know, Black Lives Matter in the back of the end zone above the chief sign, <laughs> Come on, guys. Did, did nobody else notice that? You know what I mean? You know, like, what are you doing? You know, that's not authentic and that's not real. So it, it, it's about ending the performative BS, right? And what started, you know, Kaepernick, you know, Colin Kaepernick being as brave as he was and shining this light, Ali-like, right? You know, back, yeah, that's really what sure. it is, right? And, and being as brave as he was at doing what he did, it cost him his career, cost him his career he paid with you know the ultimate sacrifice not the ultimate but you know in sports your right. career right yeah. so so you know that 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 now is 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 okay that was very brave at the beginning and it's now important and okay for people to show however that's now performative i'm you know in terms of what's what's real what's what's next how are how what's your hiring look like are managers being rewarded for their hiring practices what you, what do you really stand for i mean the job there's only really one one organization i would say with any credibility here right now that's the nba you know adam and mark tatum they're legit right and and, and i think out of out of um you know the necessity their players and their fan base right but um but they you can tell it's 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 real and it's actual uh, it's actual progress and momentum they're thoughtful and this isn't you know oh gee we need these strictures put in place it's taking your aperture from being very very closed to widening it and thinking uh, how do we make how do we give everyone a fair shot and how does everyone have a chance to contribute and belong and they've done it better than anybody cool
uncle. And as someone who has two young people in that mix, my son and my daughter who feel that way in addition to Taylor, um, and a lot of the other students that we have who've talked about this, I, th I think it's important, uh, the work that you're doing on every front in and outside of sports, it's a pleasure to obviously always be around you and always be learning from you. Tom, I think we learned more in the last 45 minutes and we maybe we haven't quite a while. Oh my God, uh, I, I think um, I took more notes in this podcast yeah. than anyone we've ever done. Yeah. And I got, and Joe, you and I have a lot of books to read. So the next time we talk to Brian, we're, yeah. we're not as ill and okay. We're just, just pretend like he stumped us on two questions on trivia, which, which uh, got me. Um, you know, the one, the last thing I want to say before we let Brian go is, and I've said this, I believe in a couple of other podcasts throughout the course of the year is a year ago, March, if you went up to people who said, where does social responsibility, um, corporate responsibility and social responsibility stand on your list, they probably would have said seventh or eighth. Now it's first or second. Bryant's driving a lot of that, but not only where do you stand, it's what are you doing? And that's the conversation that I've had with both my kids and a lot of other people. It's you can't just say you're going to give away a pair of shoes or, or help water in, in the Congo. You actually have to go do it. And that's the beauty. And hopefully through the storytelling that you're doing, Brian, you know, we're going to get there in an accentuated pace. Two, two last things. As you said, Joe, I have learned more from my children this year who are 23, 17 and 15 we're out there with, you know, standing there with Black Lives Matter signs being sworn at, people throwing stuff at them. My neighbor down the street, who's 12 years old, he asks me, why do you have four Black Lives Matter signs on your front lawn? I said, for everyone that was stolen, Simon. Hmm. And, and I live in a very progressive, leafy part of the world, right? And, it, and it's just, it's crazy. So that's one thing. Learn from your kids. Listen, listen and learn and shut up and just listen. And, and I've done that I've, and I'm doing that. The second thing is that I really, you know, work hard at, it's, it's easy to get bitter, but I've learned so much from Willie and from Herb. Can't be bitter, can't be angry, gotta move on. You know, 90% of people can find problems, 10% find solutions, gotta be in the solution business, right? Mm -hmm. And that, a lot of that, I think at the core of that, in terms of the extremes in this country right now, from the people who just, you know, are codified in the civil war and this is what they believe. And they'll always believe the guys who stormed the Capitol to the, you know, far left to kind of just not, not giving anyone an inch and, you know, canceling and, you know, meet people where they are, listen, yep. learn, help them listen and learn, meet people where they are. Don't be critical, be open and find commonality. We'll get there. We'll all get there. Cool. Wow. Brian, how do we find uh um, both Burst and the Carnegie Initiative, and then Tom, take us home, I guess. I'll say that one more time, Joe. I missed that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How do we find, how do people find the Carnegie Initiative and all you're doing with Burst? And then uh, Tom can wrap us up. Absolutely. You can go to burst.com. You can see what we do. It's easy. Or you can Google Carnegie Initiative hockey or um, Carnegie Init, I-N-I-T, CarnegieInitiative.com. And you can get to both of them. And um, there's lots of fun stuff up there. We welcome you if you've got great ideas uh, or uh, millions of dollars and you want to change the world and help people do do the work, literally do the work in a measurable, effective way. One of the highest compliment um, and aspiration, we're not far from there, but the one of our investors and when I was describing to him our new direction, he said, you're trying to create a vaccine for racism. Wow. Wow. That, that's what I'm, that's got to get there. Wow. Get there. Amazing. Brian, thank you. Um, 
Joe, it's always nice to have a guest who actually gives you the title of the podcast at the end of a nice, of a great conversation, which is to me, you got to be in the solutions business. That yep. was a great line. Uh, I think I might've heard Brian utter that before, but it, it really stuck with, it really hit me uh, in the right spot today. So uh, yep. kudos, Brian, for that. Uh, I don't know what to say. That was one of the more um, interesting, relevant, timely, important conversations we've had. And we've been doing this for over five years, Brian. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you guys. Thank you guys for, uh, as always, for the great work you do. I listen. Anyone who doesn't listen to this podcast is just wrong because uh, you <laughs> learn every time you listen to it right. and, um, and just being such great friends. Well, thank you. We, we really appreciate it. And uh, really, really wish you well with all the continuing good work at Burst, particularly with the new, new initiative on the, on the uh, diversity of uh, a voice collection and storytelling and things like that. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, good luck with the Carnegie initiative. That sounds fantastic. We wish you well with that. Um, I know you got lots of other things going on too. So good luck with your various sure. entrepreneurial activities and investments beyond what we talked about today. Cause you got, you're, you're like the hardest working man in the sports business that I know. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, I don't have a choice. Someday, well, I know. I know. someday, someday I hope to. <laughs> well, no, you, I, I mean, even, even when I sensed that, when I, when I met you a long time ago, I mean, it's, it's an inspiration when, when I think when people talk to you, so keep it up. Uh, okay. Thank you, Taylor, for a nice job producing. Uh, and since you're a hockey fan, we know this might have been particularly interesting. Uh, Joe? Always. Good to be back together. So thank you yeah. for being patient. In person with, soon. With my busy so. schedule. Yes, in person soon. Yeah. So anyway, everybody, um, we've been listening. Hopefully you now uh, know well. Bryant McBride, industry legend, we can call him, and doing some amazing and important things in this business right now, um, bringing a lot to the table every day. And I think shining a light on an issue that really needs some transparency and some light shining. If there's any in the business uh, and, yeah. and in the world, I would say beyond the sports world, uh, it's this. So Brian, keep up the good work. We will be in touch. I uh, would love to have you back for number three after you make some progress on all this stuff and we'll see how it's going. We'll get a check in, okay? Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time on The Cusp Show.